Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I have an anthology coming out called Moms Don't Have Time 2, a quarantine anthology. And it comes out on February 16th and has essays by 60 plus of the authors who have been on this podcast. So first of all, please pre-order this book. I think you will love it. I'm so excited about all the authors who are represented. Um, just to give you a few, um, Chris Bajalian, uh, Jewel Parker Rhodes, Ashley Prentice Norton, Gretchen Rubin, Rima Zaman, Eileen Zimmerman. And that is just from the first page of the multi-page table of contents. So please pick up this book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. It's available anywhere you buy books, Amazon, bookshop.org, and your local independent bookstore. So please pick up a copy. And also, I want to invite you listeners to my um, fundraiser slash launch party the night it comes out on February 16th, a Tuesday at 7 p.m., Bookhampton and the Children's Museum of the East End are co-hosting it for me. And 50 of the authors who wrote essays in this book, as well as many of the amazing authors who blurbed this book, um, who wrote little praiseworthy quotes at at the front, will be there. And you can be there too. So if you go to my website, zibbyowens.com, and just click on Anthology and go to Book Tour, you will see um, a whole fundraiser section. And for $50, um, you can attend. You'll get a copy of the book, and you'll get to schmooze on Zoom with all of these amazing authors. This is like going to be the literary happening of February. So please come. I would love to see you all in person on Zoom, I guess, but even see some of your faces. I know so many of you are really loyal listeners, and that makes me really happy. All proceeds of the book and the fundraiser are going to the Susan Felice Owens Program for COVID-19 Vaccine Research at Mount Sinai Health System. And it is named after my husband's mother, who passed away from COVID over the summer, which many of you followed along on Instagram as I uh, recounted that horrific experience. So all the proceeds are going there. The cost includes the price of a book. So thank you for supporting this effort and for supporting my book. I can't wait to see you there. Today's episode has been sponsored by author Joe Piazza's new podcast, Under the Influence. Under the Influence is a deep dive into the mom internet, a place haunted by aspirational marketing where it feels like every other mom is a social media influencer trying to sell you something, all while posed in white kitchens that never seem to get messy with toddlers and cloth diapers that never ever leak, a bastion of carefully curated lives that are hashtag blessed. And behind this airbrushed perfection is money, so much money, billions and billions of dollars, a multi-billion dollar industry we never talk about. 
journalist and mom of two, Joe Piazza, brings a keen reporter's lens to examine how we got here, what it all means, and how the commodification of motherhood is driving normal mothers to the brink. And through it all, she wonders if she should just join the ochre-hued ranks of the momstagrammers, if she too can make thousands of dollars off beautiful photos of bath time, frolicking in fields of purple flowers, and posing her newborn next to a beautiful latte, and if this is the future of content. Check it out. Joe Piazza is under the influence. Maggie Downs is an award-winning writer based in Palm Springs, California. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, Palm Springs Life, and McSweeney's, and has been anthologized in the Lonely Planet Travel Anthology, True Stories from the World's Best Writers and Best Women's Travel Writing. Braver Than You Think is her first book. Find out more at maggiedowns.com. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Braver Than You Think around the world on the trip of my mother's lifetime. Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure. It's my pleasure. I was starting to tell you this before, but I had been so excited to read this book that I kept like trying to sneak into it when I had lots of other books sort of on the horizon <laughs> in the shorter term. And I'm delighted I finally got a chance to read the whole thing because it was really good. And, you know, I kind of feel like I, I know at least a version of you that you <laughs> put forth in the book now. So thank you for sharing all that with your readers and with me. Well, thank you for reading it. I really, you know, I appreciate it. And, and I'm like you, I read multiple books at the same time. And so I'm always like cheating on one book or another. (laughs) Totally good. Now I don't feel as bad. (laughs) Book cheaters, anonymous or something. Why don't you tell listeners a little about what your book is about and what inspired you to write it? Okay. So the elevator pitch is that it's a memoir about a year that I spent backpacking solo around the world to complete my mom's bucket list while she was in the final stages of Alzheimer's. But, you know, the longer version is so much more difficult. It starts when my mom was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And I was so young when that happened. And it kind of set me into a tailspin, just like reckoning with the fact that I would never know my mom as an adult. You know, I was I was in my early 20s when she was diagnosed and I was just learning how to become a person. And I didn't know how to deal with the fact that she was in decline. And, and it happened so rapidly, you know, within a couple of years, she had no idea who I was. So all of that, you know, of course, forced me to think about my own mortality and just how I wanted to live my life. And I knew that there were a lot of things that my mom wanted to do with her own life and all these dreams and goals she had. And so when I thought about what would she do if she could have this time back? Like if she had the option to do it all over again, what would she do? I pulled on some of my memories of things she had talked about and I kind of compiled a bucket list for her. And I did the things that I thought she might wanna do. And so I quit my job, I sold all of my things. I had $10,000 and I didn't know how far that would take me. And it took me through South America, Africa, and then Asia before I went home again. And she, it's no spoiler that she dies halfway through my trip. So there was you know, a, a big grieving process in the traveling and then also trying to figure out how to heal from that. Wow. I loved how you interspersed all of the trips and all of the challenges that came from like underwear and socks <laughs> that wouldn't dry at time for a hike and like sleeping on the floor of a airport and like all these things and getting attacked by monkeys. Like you just had like all sorts of like bizarre things happen. And yet on every page, 
was something about your mom. Mm -hmm. I felt like, like it, it, it permeated everything that happened to you that whole year. And it was like a love letter to her, the trip, the book, all of it. Like, do you feel like once you spent all that time and emotional energies writing it, did it give you some sort of relief in a way? Or like, how did you feel when you finally like had the book done and you like went back to life? Well, you know, grief is such a strange thing and I feel like you never fully heal from it, but it did make me feel like, like there was a way out of it. And like when I tell my friends in California, how grief feels, I describe it like a labyrinth, but since I'm from Ohio, it's more like a corn maze. And it's like, like, I think of it personally, like this scary place and I don't know how to get out and I'm just trying to navigate through it. And I felt like writing the book was one passage out. It was another way to get around my grief a little bit after being steeped in it for so long. But also, I think in writing the book, I really wanted to help other people who were grappling with with the loss of a loved one, and especially people who their loved ones might have an extended illness, because that process of grief and mourning them is so extended and it happens for so long before they ever die. And that's really, really hard. And it was hard when my mom was diagnosed for me to read any book about Alzheimer's because there's no happy ending with that disease, you know? And I mean, it's, it's an always fatal disease. So I wanted to write a book that tackled these topics, but also had some light and some hope in it. There's another book coming out in January. Well, I'm, I don't know. This might run after that, but it's by a rabbi named Steve Letter called Beauty, The Beauty and What Remains. And his father had Alzheimer's and he had to deal with the 10-year journey. And it's also about grief. So I don't know. I feel like you two should team up. Yes. If those two together would be like a perfect, like almost like a grief bundle. I mean, I know that sounds terrible and commercial, but they're both so helpful in different ways. His was about a man losing his dad. Yours is a mom losing your mom to the same illness. I don't know. Just very complimentary. Anyway, look into it. Yeah, I will. <laughs> Later. I will. And speaking of Ohio and the corn maze, my mom and her whole family are from Dayton, Ohio. Oh, that's where I'm from. My grandma's <laughs> from Cincinnati. So I know I read that in the book <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's so great. I've been to Dayton like a zillion times. So anyway. <laughs> Small world. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah. And that's so funny. I always forget that people know these things about my life because it's in the book. So someone will say something now and I'm like, how did you know that about me? (laughs) And then I remember, oh yeah, I... I put it in a book that anyone can read. Yeah, yeah. yeah pretty much. Pretty much. It, the, the secret right, is out. Yeah. The Midwestern roots cannot be yeah. doubted. <laughs> Take me back a little to growing up, not just that you were in Dayton, but you referenced your sort of sickly childhood a lot and mm-hmm. your asthma and pneumonias or bronchitis, or you were sick a lot. And obviously that has long-term effects. I feel like when people go through a lot as children, more resilient or this, that, or the other thing. Tell me about that and what was wrong and how you got over it. Yeah, I just was very sickly. Like my, I have an older brother and an older sister and they were like natural athletes. They were always like, you know, playing basketball or that kind of thing. And I was the kid who I would literally make a fort out of books and I would sit inside my fort and just read books because, you know, it was, it was a struggle for me to do physical activities. My asthma was so profound and it, it took a while to diagnose that. And like, I was always the kid at the tail end of races and PE class and whatnot. So I just never, like, I just never thought of myself as a physically strong person. And that 
I do think that remains with you. And that's just always in the back of your head. Like, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I'm not strong enough. Maybe I don't have the physical capacity to do this. So when I embarked on this backpacking trip, I, you know, I was, I was really scared that I wouldn't be able to endure it, that, you know, I might have a medical emergency somewhere or just not be able to breathe. And that's so scary. So I spent a lot of time working with a travel nurse and getting vaccines for every possible place I was traveling to and like getting special medical insurance that could like airlift me out of a place. <laughs> like, like I had all my bases covered. I just had to do the thing. But you're right. You know, that that does have a long lasting effect on a person. It's even more of an accomplishment that you were able to like go to high altitudes and hike up and like crawl up different mountains and stuff. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, I feel like a lot of people who have really bad asthma would not necessarily even want to do that. And then I found myself worrying about you with COVID because I was like, I wonder how that would affect her lungs. She's already susceptible. I hope you're really careful. Yeah. You know, and I've thought a lot about the trip I took and what it would be like now with COVID because there were so many moments that were really physical and between me and strangers. And, and I remember, you know, being on these long haul buses where people would just like fall asleep on me. And it was just these really tender, intimate moments that you have with, with strangers. And I miss that. And I'm sad that that's not happening right now. One of many. Yeah things to be said about right now. You met your husband skydiving, Mm -hmm. which is so cool. And I don't think I know anybody else who I can say that about. And you didn't want to do it and you were kind of annoyed and then you did it together and then you kept doing it over and over again. And then you realized like he was your person. And next thing you know, you've set off on this adventure, but part of your adventure was spending all this time without him. Mm -hmm. So what led you, like, what made you want to do it alone? I know you were sad in the book when he left and all of that and, you know, you reunite and everything, but oh, not to give anything away, but it's, I can delete that. if you. Oh, if no, it's no, a, no, it's, it's fine. I don't think it's a spoiler. I feel like if you go to Instagram or something, yeah. you'll see. But anyway, what the culmination of it was, but tell me about getting together with him and then the decision so soon after you, like immediately after you get married to, to separate. Yeah. So I feel like when you meet someone skydiving, that's already kind of an unconventional <laughs> kind of relationship. And, you know, this isn't in the book, but he proposed to me like six or seven times. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to be like a a traditional wife. And I didn't necessarily, I kept saying like, I don't want to be Donna Reed as though there's no other way to be a wife or to be in a marriage. And finally he said, you know, our relationship is something that we create. It's, it doesn't have to look a certain way. It doesn't have to go a certain way. Like if you're afraid of being stuck at home in a certain place or like in a neighborhood you don't like or or having a certain role, like it doesn't have to be that. And then we ended up getting married before this trip because we did want the security of being able to, like if I needed help in a country, a husband would have access to me that a boyfriend wouldn't. So it was very practical when we ended up getting married But also, I think it's very romantic that like someone wants to care for you. And I don't know why I thought a year apart would just be easy. Like, you know, I was I'm very independent and I would go away for the weekend or a couple weeks traveling and I just didn't think anything of it. So I thought, you know, a year would be the same. But a year is a really long time. And especially when you're not 
traveling the same direction, you know, and so different things were happening in his life than with mine. And it was a real struggle to like find common ground at a certain point. So when I returned home, yeah, it was, it was a difficult time, but we, we worked that out. And, you know, honestly, I, I was reluctant to even put my marriage that much in the book because I feel like so many women's stories have like a romance facet to them. And I was kind of resentful of that. Like you can be a whole interesting, complex person without, you know, a partner or without romance in there. But I think, I think it actually adds something to the story. So I was finally convinced to put that in. (laughs) Well, it's just like any other part, like just any relationship actually just tells the reader more about you. Right. It's not about the romance. It's Mm -hmm. who is she in a relationship? Who is she in relation when she goes to visit her mother? Like, you know, who was she with her sibling? I don't know. It all just like is of a piece. And I don't think it's about the man or the partner even. It's, that's my two cents about it. I agree. And I just, I really like that. It's not the main storyline because that's not, that's not what the story is about. So yeah. So I, I appreciate that it's there. Yeah. I was really moved when you were writing about your hesitation to have your own kids because you were so worried that you would be carrying the gene for early Alzheimer's and that you would be condemning your children to that type of illness down the line for them. You said what, I'm just going to read this little passage, but you said, what I've never said out loud is that I'm afraid. Every time I misplace my keys or leave my purse in the car, I text my sister in a panic, believing I'm in the early stages of Alzheimer's myself. Shortly after my mom's diagnosis, my dad tried to comfort me on the phone. By the time you're old enough to worry about it, there will be a cure for this disease, he said. There might not be hope for your mom, but there's hope for you. Almost a decade later, we are no closer to a cure or a way to prevent this thing, but I am closer to an age where I need to make a decision. I don't want to be a parent if I can't be fully present and mentally aware. I don't want my child to watch me disintegrate the way I witnessed my mom's decay, and I don't want to pass the disease on. Parenthood is an enormous risk. And then you say, however, the choice feels simple in this living room where the wallpaper peels and the roof sags with mold. I wonder what I am waiting for. I wonder if not taking a chance is, in fact, the bigger risk. Ugh. I love that passage. Thank you. And, you know, that was an experience that really taught me something. So that that passage is from when I'm with some kids in Argentina whose parents have, have left them with me. And, and I'm watching these kids grow up kind of like, I don't know, like Lord of the Flies. <laughs> They're just, they have to fend for themselves. And it really brought out a maternal instinct that I didn't know that I had. And so that was on my mind a lot as I was traveling, just thinking about if I wanted to have my own children and what that would mean. And did you ever want to get tested for the gene? Have you ever? So my siblings and I, we, we've talked about that and we've all decided that we don't want to know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you seen the movie Ask Alice or is that what Go it's called? Go Ask Alice, I think. Go Ask, Ask Alice. Is that? No. With, with Julianne Moore. I know what you're talking about. Still Alice. Still Alice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Still Alice. No, I haven't seen it yet because it just looks, it looks too hard for me, yeah. but a, a lot of people have recommended it. So it's so good. It's, it's literally one of my favorite movies. And so I mistakenly think that I know somebody who's been through this because I got to watch Julianne Moore's depiction of a woman going through early stage Alzheimer's and what that felt like. And the kids like you have all those same fears. And it was a big debate in the movie. Should they get tested or not? Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah, that's scary. You never know what you're going to give your kids. Yeah. But it's also like 
does that make life not worth living? And I mean, I ultimately, I know what you decided, but (laughs) you know, that's a tough choice. Like, aren't you glad your mom lived? I mean, I don't know. It's like one of those things. Yeah. I think ultimately it's like anything, you know, it's just so much up to chance. And I I think any choice is brave, no matter what a woman decides to do. I think just, I think just being a person in the world is brave. Like that's an act of bravery in itself. So just being out there and being a person every day, I think is an act of bravery. So ultimately, if people read this book, I don't want them to think that they have to skydive or they have to, you know, travel to remote Ethiopia. They can have meaningful experiences, you know, no matter what they choose to do. So tell me about, I know you were like an award-winning journalist for years and did all, you were like, Amazing. Tell me about your journalism career and how you got into that and what that was like for you. And then how it shifted, like having to work on one project for a sustained period of time like this. So I thought I was going to be like a cool writer for Rolling Stone. And it turns out I ended up at a newspaper in Appalachian, Ohio, a small town paper. And I was like, this is fine. I'll just do this for a few years and then move to New York and be like a cool person. And that really never happened. I just continued working through newspapers. And so I worked at some different publications in Ohio. I went on to the Cincinnati Inquirer, which, you know, to me growing up in Dayton, Ohio, the Cincinnati Inquirer was like, that was it. This was big city, huge newspaper, and it's a great paper. So I, I had my own column there. I felt very much like Cincinnati Carrie Bradshaw. (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) And I had, you know, I was lucky enough to have some really great editors who helped me develop just the craft of writing and really dig into some, you know, wonderful stories. And they would give me the freedom to follow pieces for a long period of time and do some long form, which was, you know, really rare. And then somehow I ended up working the nighttime cops beat in Cincinnati. So it just involved a lot of listening to police scanners And, you know, if there was a shooting or a body dredged from the river, like I was the person who was there. And that's not a really creative or fulfilling life. I mean, it's important and somebody needs to be reporting these things, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so then I ended up moving to Palm Springs and writing feature stories here and writing about like the Coachella Music Festival and the film festival and, you know, interviewing Brad Pitt and all sorts of like amazing things. But even even that after a while starts to feel a little formulaic or, you know, it just I just kind of wanted to expand my my aperture, you know, I wanted to get a bigger worldview. And that's when I decided to go on this trip. Wow. And so now that you've written a book, is this a medium? Do you like writing in this, like at this length at this style versus going back to shorter pieces? Or like, what do you have in mind after? Like what comes after this? Yeah. Well, it turns out books are really, really long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and it sounds so obvious, but I was used to writing like really short pieces, you know, columns that were like 700 words. And so when I embarked on a book, I, I mean, it was just a whole new thing to realize, oh, wow. Like I, really need to sustain this narrative for such a long period of time and keep it compelling. And so, so I, I went to back to school and I got my MFA and I learned a lot more about writing, but yeah, it's, it's hard, but I love it. I love 
like the freedom that books offer. And I have an idea for another book. And right now I'm thinking of it as a collection of essays because I think that seems less daunting, but really, I think it's not really a collection of essays. I think it's just, a, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I, I need to trick myself into thinking like this is something I can tackle in small bits. Otherwise I'll never do it. So someone, oh gosh, now I'm blanking on who this was. I just recently interviewed someone who said, don't think of a book as a book. Think of it as 12 chapters. Yes. Yes. Right. Like same, same mental trick, right? It's yeah. really just little pieces strung together become something bigger. Yeah. Well, it sounds so obvious, but it's, it's not when you are like at a blank page of what you feel like might be hundreds of pages versus like 10 pages. Yeah. So. And you know, I, I always had to trick myself. I think I, I said in the book, like even when I was skydiving, I knew I would enjoy the skydive once I was out of the airplane, but it was just a matter of getting out the door. So I would tell myself like, oh, I'm Angelina Jolie's stunt double for Tomb Raider or, <laughs> or I'm on the Olympic skydiving team, which doesn't actually exist, but it was enough to, you know, like get me out the door. And then once I was out, you know, you can't get back in. You just have to enjoy the fall. <laughs> and, and I feel like that's the same thing with books too. Like once I was so far into writing this book, I thought, well, I can't stop now. <laughs> like I just need to enjoy this writing. And ultimately I, I love it because like just being a reader for so many years, I know how books are a conversation and how every reader brings their own thing to the story. And I love that. And I love knowing that that I'm having this conversation with readers, that no matter who gets this book into their hands, we're having a dialogue. And so I, I just, I want to have that opportunity again. And so, yeah, I think that will get me going on my next project. And then also just launching a book during a pandemic, I feel like I need a do-over. So I have to have a second book. <laughs> it's true. I recently like reposted all these interviews I did all the way at the beginning of the pandemic, like back in March and April. And some of those books are now coming out in paperback. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I cannot believe that now we're still in this world and their paperbacks are coming out. Do you know, like know. It, it's stretched for so long yeah. that I feel like pandemic publishing is just like, that's just it. That's just what the world is now. You know? <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, I think my paperback comes out in May. And, okay. and I'm really hoping that I'll have some kind of tour. Like before the pandemic, I had all of these like, I don't know. I had all of these expectations of the book. Like it's going to be on all these lists and I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to be besties with Oprah and, and, and I'm going to go on this glitzy book tour. And, you know, in this scenario, I'm also like in a trench coat at a train station with like hot <laughs> boxes and like a femme fatale in the 1940s. And now I'm like, I just want to be in a bookstore with people. <laughs> you know, that's all I want. I just want to see people in real life and feel their energy and like maybe sign a book for people. <laughs> I totally get it. You can probably relate given like your mother's sort of fascination with weight and you talked about her dieting and the tab sodas and like mm -hmm. all the, you know, my mother was the same way, but anyway, I have this anthology coming out in February and <laughs> I've been thinking like, Oh, you know, before the anthology and I'm thinking, and I'm now I'm like, I'm going to be right here. Like, <laughs> where am I going? Where, 
I don't need to get outfits, my body. Nobody sees my body anyway. No one's going to see it in two months. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, here we are, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I don't know. It's sort of funny. Yeah, I know. I know. I was, I had outfits picked out for my book tour. And yeah, I had like a whole thing. I had like a, a plan for my hair with my stylist <laughs> and just like nothing happens. It's just you know, me on Zoom. It was, who was it? I think it was this author, Janelle Brown, and she posted every day for like a week, all her book tour outfits. Oh, wow. Like it just was, but just like her with a mirror shot. Yeah. She just wanted to show everybody what she would have worn yeah. had she gone on the tour. So yeah. anyway, craziness. What advice would you have to aspiring authors? So I would tell them to do it for the writing, not for the external gratification. And that's a conversation that I've been having with my friend, Ron Curry, who is a writer, because, you know, I had this real letdown after the book came out and he was like, no, that's real. And you have to realize that you are doing this for the writing and you're writing for, you know, that, that you're doing it to find sanctuary on the page, that it's about you and the words. It's not about like any lists you're on or, you know, certain things that come outside of that. So that was really important. And that's just a brand new lesson that I've learned. But the other big thing that really affected me, the writer Steve Almond, he has this teeny tiny little writing book, like a craft book. And and one of his lessons is slow down where it hurts. So and I love it. And for a long time, I had it on a post-it, like in the corner of my laptop, because I realized not just with this book, but with a lot of things, like I was just trying to rush past the painful things. And, and that's no way. Yeah. That's no way to heal. I'm ready to down yeah. <laughs> Slow down where it hurts. All right. Yeah. I love it. It's, I, I mean, it, and and you never really get to the source of your pain if you're just trying to move past it as quickly as possible. And once I knew that, like it really helped me dig into my writing and look at the things I was avoiding. And so it works on the page, but it also works as a really great life lesson too. Wow. Very inspiring. Wow. Well, Maggie, thank you. Thank Thanks. you so I'm glad. Much. I know. I'm sorry you were had the feeling of letdown when your book came out, but I know I'm just one of many, many readers of yours, but everything, every experience you shared, like it finds its way into the reader's consciousness and it like lodges itself there. So now it's in there for me and I'll be thinking about it. And I don't know, just you're doing that so many times over. It doesn't matter what list. Yeah. There ends up being. Well, and, and that's what I mean about a conversation. And that's, I mean, that's where the real value is, right? It's just in having these moments with readers. So I really appreciate it. Well, <laughs> thanks. Me too. I yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> All, right. All right. If I ever get to Palm Springs again for yeah. this tennis tournament and <laughs> in Indian Wells, um, I'll look you up. <laughs> yes, I will show you around. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. Right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Today's podcast has been sponsored by Under the Influence, a new podcast by author Joe Piazza. And just a reminder again, please pre-order a copy of my book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology, and go to my website under the anthology tab for the fundraiser, and I hope you'll buy a ticket and join me for, and I should have mentioned, um, all proceeds go to COVID-19 research. So please join me for the fundraiser. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time To Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week.
Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 